you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. And uh, today we are going to conclude our three-part series in the book of Malachi. The Lord uses a question and answer style throughout the entire book. If you haven't done so, I would encourage you to read it. It's just four chapters, not very long, but I tell you, very powerful. I encourage you to read, or maybe if reading's not your thing, maybe listening. How many of you, listening is more your learning style than reading? Raise your hand. About a third. Okay, well, you guys are on my team. I prefer to listen. It just, it goes in easier that way for some reason. That's just the way God made me. And if you're looking for a really cool app to help you get the Bible audibly, uh, I would recommend the Blue Letter Bible app. Blue Letter Bible. You can download it for free, and it's just an amazing resource. Uh, You can click on any verse and hit the audio tab, and you have all kinds of options. You can listen to the end of the book. You can listen to the chapter seven times. You can listen to the chapter once. It's just, it's really cool. And you can listen in any version, which is really amazing. And so Blue Letter Bible, if you prefer to do it that way, I want to encourage all of us to, if you haven't done so, read through the book of Malachi. It is so rich. So today, uh, we're going to read through chapters 3 and 4. They're relatively short. Chapter 3 has only 16 verses. Chapter 4 has only 6 verses. And although these chapters are short, um, they are packed. I mean, each paragraph could be a message all by itself. There's no way that we can cover all of this material in the time that we have here this morning. And so the message will focus on just two points. But I want us to see those points in their context. It's important that we understand the bigger picture in light of the two points that we'll cover today. So we'll read all of chapter 3 and 4, and then we'll focus on two things. Sound good? Amen? So let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for your presence. And thank you for your love. And thank you for giving us life and creating us. And Lord, giving us this gift to make it eternal and to restore it to your original design. Lord, we are amazed by your presence and we are changed. And we are here to honor you today. And so, Holy Spirit, we open ourselves up to you and ask that you would be our teacher, our counselor, and that you would reveal truth. Jesus, you said you came for this very purpose, that you would testify of the truth. And so, God, speak to our hearts. Set us free by your truth. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, this is the Lord speaking. He says, look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. So in verse 1, the Lord is speaking, and he says, I'm going to send a messenger. Now, in Malachi's day, uh, he didn't know who this person was. He didn't know who this person would be. But we have the advantage of looking back on history, and we even know that Jesus himself confirmed the identity of who this messenger would be, So who was it? Yes, John the Baptist. And so John would prepare the way, and then what? Continuing on in verse 1, Then the Lord, 
you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more, the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem, as he did in the past. At that time, I will put you on trial. I am eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice, for these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 6, I am the Lord, and I do not change, and that is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. There's more to go, but let's pause here for a moment. Here in this passage, the Lord says, I do not change. So why is it that God says, I do not change? And there's a reason that he doesn't. If God could change, then God could get better. And God can't get better because he's already perfect. And therefore, God does not change. In theology, it's called the immutability of God. God does not change. So what exactly about it, what exactly about God is it that doesn't change? Scripture is very clear. God is gracious and patient, not wanting anyone to perish. And so he says, that is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Verse 7. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now... Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, that's an amazing statement. He says, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees, and you have failed to obey them. And then, in the same breath, he goes on to say, now return to me, and I will return to you. I mean, it's as if God is writing a blank check. And I tell you this, when God writes a blank check, That's an amazing check. If I write a blank check, you can take it. You can write a million dollars in it if you want. But when you get to the bank, guess what? Well, you fill in the blank. It's very different from me giving you a blank check. On the other hand, if God writes it, uh, you've got it made. And that's essentially what he's offering. He's talking about these people who have been unfaithful, and then in the same breath he says, but return to me and I'll return to you. It's an amazing offer. He says, my paraphrase, he says, since ever since, you have been doing your own thing. But if you will return to me, I will return to you. Despite this amazing offer, some people will say, continuing on in the text, but you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Now, there's a statement. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you know what denial is? 
so this, these people are saying, what have we done? What are you talking about? So God has to get specific, right? So he goes on. He says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But they're still stubborn. They say, but uh, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? He says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. He says, try it. Put me to the test. Verse 11. He says, your crops will be abundant. That's a symbolism of provision. Your provision will be abundant. I will guard them from insects and disease. Will stop the interest rate from going low and losing your retirement. Your grapes will not fall. You know, in my backyard, I have these papaya trees. I don't know what it is lately. Every time I go out in the backyard, these little baby papayas have fallen to the ground. I'm like, they're not growing and then maturing and ripening so that I can enjoy them in my kitchen. That kind of stuff can happen to our provision. It can fall before it has matured to be a blessing. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I'm just impressed as I continue to read through Malachi, continues to end with the title of who God is. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. I mean, just picture that for a moment. Verse 13. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? I mean, what have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we're sorry for our sin? Verse 15, from now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil get rich. And those who dare God to punish them, they they suffer no harm, nothing, zilch. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. There are people here in this room who have a very high reverence for God. And when you have to make a choice, you think about the honor of his name, and you choose accordingly. If this applies to you, did you know that the Lord has been listening and that your name is recorded? It is. He has taken note. Verse 17, he says, They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. See, the people were complaining. There's no difference. It doesn't matter if you follow God or not. Those people who don't follow God, they get blessed. But he says, watch, there will come a time, and then you will see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Moving into chapter 4, the Lord of heaven's army says, the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace, 
On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the sun, notice it's spelled S-U-N, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. You ever see calves let out the gate and they go out in the field and they start kicking their back legs up in the air? They're just like jumping for joy. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Verse 5, look. I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, as I said earlier, Malachi is packed. There is so much here, but for, but for today, we're just going to focus on just two things. The theme of Malachi is a coin with two sides. On one side of the coin is a strong rebuke for dishonoring God. The text speaks for itself regarding the details of the rebuke. I will summarize them for you. Beginning in verse 5, God rebukes his people. It's interesting, he's rebuking his people for lying, cheating, adultery, sorcery, and those who, depri- who deprive and oppress. That's a strong rebuke. You know, earlier, Elmore was up here, and he said God is raising up leaders. He's raising up leaders here among us. You're going to have influence. He's going to double and triple your passion. I just want you to know that as you rise in leadership in God's kingdom, you are under stricter accountability. When I was in high school, I was living in Germany. My dad was stationed there in the military. I bought my first car in Germany. And if you've heard about it, in Germany, they have something called the Autobahn, which is a highway with an unlimited speed limit. You can go as fast as your car will go. And so one day I'm on a trip, and there's a straightaway, and there's no traffic, and it's downhill, and I decided to test out my car. I had a little red sports car, and I put the pedal to the metal. And I started flying down that road, and all of a sudden, the aerodynamics, I realized my car was not built for speed that fast. It felt like the car started floating. And I tell you, just the slightest little touch on my steering wheel, and the car was like moving into the other lane. I was like, whoa, you know? The point is this. The faster you go, the higher you fly, the less there is for any margin of error. As you become teachers and as you become leaders in God's kingdom, there is stricter accountability. God has given you gifts. God has given you much ability. Some of you have talents. I just shake my head and go, wow. (laughs) You know, there's a proverb that says, a man's gift will make room for him, but his character will allow him to keep that space that he has occupied. I know people who are gifted, and doors have opened for them, but because of a lack of character, they have fallen from that position. And it's important as we grow 
not just in numbers. As we grow spiritually, as we grow in maturity, as we grow in leadership, we need to grow in character. We need this. The faster you go, the smaller the margin for error. And it's interesting that God is talking to his people when he says, I will put some of you on trial for sorcery. Interesting. If any of you are involved in the kingdom of darkness, if you're dabbling with spirits from the dark side, then I warn you, along with Malachi and with God, get out of it. You need to stop. You are on very dangerous ground. It could be witchcraft. It could be sorcery. The Surohano, black magic, tarot cards, divination, the occult, fortune telling, palm reading, astral projection, aura readings, mantras, and a host of new age spiritual experiences. If you have any spiritual activity outside of God and his kingdom, God sees you. And it is a betrayal of your heavenly father. God says, there will come a time when I will put you on trial. He says, I am eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. Speaking of adultery, Jesus said, if you even look at a woman in lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. So having said that, you may as well include porn in the list. If any of this applies to you, then today is the day to make a decision in your heart to turn away from sin and the kingdom of darkness. In verse 7, God speaks of those who hate his laws and fail to do them. In verses 8 through 10, God rebukes those who don't tithe. He says they are cheating him. In verses 13 through 15, God says, you have said terrible things about me. You said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained? In other words, people say, you know what? God's not fair. Where's the justice? And so that's the strong rebuke. God says, you know what? You guys are all over the place with your sin. And then, as if that were not enough to top it off, you turn around and blame me because your life is so messed up. God says, that's messed up. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's messed up. So that's the strong rebuke. The theme of Malachi is a coin with two sides. On one side of the coin is the strong rebuke for dishonoring God. The other side of the coin is a great invitation to be restored. A great invitation to be restored. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's good news. In verse 7, the Lord says, Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. That is good news. So how does God restore us? How does God restore us? Let's go back to verses 2 and 3. He says, He will be like a blazing fire that refines metal. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross, He will purify the Levites. The Levites were the priests in the Old Testament. 
We know now in the new covenant, in our relationship with Christ, that all of us are priests and kings because the king is our, we are kings and princes. We are royalty because the king is our heavenly father. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. I want to explain a little bit about the refiner's fire. We can go ahead and go to the next slide. He is like a refiner. A refining fire is one that heats up precious metal. And when that heating takes place and it turns to a molten liquid, the dross, which is the impurities, float to the top. And then the refiner is able to skim off the impurities in order to create a pure, precious metal. How many of you have a wedding band? If it's made of gold, just touch it, take note of that. This is a precious metal. One of the reasons that we wear gold is because as a precious metal, gold does not irritate the skin. Have you ever tried cheap jewelry? (laughs) Did you notice what happened? It started to turn green on your finger. And if you leave it there long enough, it begins to irritate. Some people have allergies to certain metals. And if you leave the irritation there long enough, it can get infected. And infections, if left untreated, they can damage you. They could even kill you if gone untreated long enough. God is in the process of purifying because he is in the process of beautifying. He is in the process of increasing. Not really increasing. I don't want to say that. You already have value. He is in the process of manifesting your true value by removing the impurities. Cheap, impure metals irritate the body. They irritate your skin. When we have impurity in us, we irritate our relationships. Anybody here married (laughs) know what I'm talking about? You begin to see some of those impurities in your spouse? Maybe you guys don't have that problem. It's just me and my wife. (laughs) If left alone, irritations get infected. They can create damage. And so what is the purpose of refining? God wants to make you beautiful. You know, beautiful jewelry, precious metals, they enhance the body. You know, in modesty, they accent, they bring beauty. God says you are like gold. And he is in the process of refining you on the inside. Paul said, outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. A refiner's fire is limited to removing the dross. You notice that picture. Everything else around it is black. Nothing else is being touched by the fire. Just the metal that is being refined. Nothing is destroyed or removed except the impurity. Now, this is very different from a forest fire. A forest fire burns indiscriminately. A forest fire burns everything. Branches, roots, and all. Does that sound familiar? We just read in Malachi 4, The Lord of heaven's army says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. 
They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. So those who fear his name, who honor God, because you have received Christ and desire to live for him, for you, the fire is a refiner's fire. So how does refining happen? How does refining happen? In what ways do we experience the Father's refining fire? Well, one of them is through trials that we go through. James said, Consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you experience trials of various kinds, because the testing of your faith produces endurance and it develops your character. Now, trials can be caused by sin, the consequences of our choices, can be caused by Satan, as in the classic case of Job, by the world around us and other people's sin that affects us. We all go through trials. That's very different from another form that God can use to refine us. One is trials. The other is divine discipline. This is very different from trials. Divine discipline is from God. Trials can be from the enemy and from sin and from the world. Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember, God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you, he does as he does all of his children, then it means that you are illegitimate children and not really children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of our father, of the father of our spirits, and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward... There will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So how does this refining happen? Trials can be caused by sin, Satan, and the world, but then there is also divine discipline. I know it's hard when we go through divine discipline, but in another sense, it's an encouragement because it's an evidence, it's a proof that you are a child of God. 
he goes on to say, if you have no discipline from the Lord, then you don't have a relationship with him. You're not his child. And that's even more serious. I would rather go through discipline with the Lord than not have the Lord in my life. So God is purifying the gold in you. One is through trials. The other is through divine discipline. The next one is through self-denial. Paul said, I buffet my body. Sometimes I would say I buffet my body. He said, I buffet my body. Make it a slave in order to serve God. There are benefits to going through the refining process. One of the benefits is fruitfulness. If you've ever read a little bit about vineyards and grapevines, or maybe even certain fruit trees like peach trees or apple trees, you know that um, in the fall or in the winter, uh, farmers will prune the fruit. They'll prune the branches. And sometimes they'll, they'll hack it way back, like almost to the trunk. I was visiting a vineyard when we went to the World Conference recently, and, and some of those um, grapevines, it's just the trunk. And then some branches come off of that to eventually grow during the springtime. And so there's, there's this pruning that is necessary. Jesus talked about it in John 15. He said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I prune it that they may bear more fruit. There is some things that have to come to an end. There are necessary endings in our lives that they're not bearing fruit. They can actually pull away resources from us being able to focus on the destiny and the plan that God has for us. Another benefit of the refining process is that I mentioned earlier, God is in the process of beautifying. Oftentimes you'll see a diamond in the store, but if you find one out in the field, in the mines, when you first get it, it looks like a rock. Literally, it looks like a rock. And it's got dirt all over it, but the person who finds it knows what it is. He recognizes its value and its potential. And they take that to the jeweler, the jeweler, and he evaluates that stone, and he figures out what's the best cut to make the most of the size of this rock. And then he begins the process of cleaning and chipping away and cutting with a beautiful gem in mind as the vision, as the end product. And that's who we were when we first came to Christ. We were like a rock, rough on the edges and dirty. But God sees us, and he sees the value in you, and he knows your potential. And he begins a process where he begins to clean and to purify and to cut and to chip and to shape because he has a vision of a beautiful jewel at the end of the process. That's who he sees and what he sees in you. The benefits of being refined, you discover your true identity. You become the person that God originally designed you to be. We are the spotless and blameless bride of Christ. That's our identity. That's where God is taking us. That's where we're going. The greatest benefit of all of being refined, this is my favorite one, is that you will encounter God. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in spirit, for they shall see God. 
The classic example is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar built a huge statue. He said, I want everybody to bow down to it when I play the music, and they didn't bow. And he said, hey, you three over here, we're going to have a little talk. He says, when I play the music, I'm going to give you another chance. When I play the music, you bow down. They said, oh, king, we cannot. Our God is the Lord of lords. He's the Lord of heaven's armies. We will not bow down to any idol. He said, oh, yeah? We'll see how tough you are. I'm going to bring my strong men over. These are like big muscle guys. And we're going to throw you in that fire if you don't bow down. They didn't back down. And so he said, heat up the fire, the furnace, seven times its normal heat. And so they did. It was so hot, the strong men that threw them in, they got burned and died. And then the king looked inside the furnace and he said, hey, guys, did we not throw three people in there? Yeah. Well, I see four. And one is shining like the sun. They were in the fire. And God showed up and they encountered him and experienced him in the fire. Very often, we will experience God through the trials and the testings that we go through. When we call out to the Lord for help, he shows up. Jesus revealed himself in the fire. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Therefore, you will encounter God after you have agreed to do whatever you sense he is inviting you to do. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Therefore, you will encounter God after you have agreed to do whatever it is that you sense he is inviting you to do. So the example is Moses. He was there at the burning bush. He had all kinds of questions and doubts and said, God, I'm not the right guy. I don't want to do this. And God kept countering each one of his excuses. And then one of the very last things he said, he said, okay, okay, okay. Uh, Just answer this question for me. How do I know this is really you? It's a decent question. Anybody ever had that? You sense God was speaking to you and you're like, God, is is this really you? How do I know this is you? And God said, well, here's how you'll know. You're going to go to Egypt. You're going to be used of me to release the people from Pharaoh. You're going to come back to me here on this mountain and worship me. And then you will know that it was me. Did you catch that? He said, you won't know until after you have obeyed. After you have gone through the process, then you will know. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Therefore, You will encounter him after you agree and obey to do whatever it is you sense he is inviting you to do, to participate with him. When they came back to that mountain, Mount Sinai, the people were at the bottom, and Moses went up to the top to meet with God. And at the top, it was billowing smoke and fire. They could see the light through the dark clouds. And Moses climbed and went up into the mountain, into the cloud where the fire was. When he came down, the Bible says that Moses' face was shining with the glory of God. And the point is this. Being in the fire and the presence of God, your heavenly Father will allow you to become like him. That's where we're going. This is a way of saying to you, the refiner's fire makes you like the Father. The message of God through Malachi is a strong rebuke with an amazing invitation to be restored. 
He restores us to our original design by his refining fire. Verse 7 contains the essence of all of Malachi, all four chapters. Verse 7 captures it in one verse. He says, Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. That's the strong rebuke. And then in the next breath, Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The message of God through Malachi is a strong rebuke with an amazing invitation to be restored. Amen? Let's pray. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, I invite you to be still and just turn your attention toward our Father and connect in your heart with Him. And if after hearing this message from Malachi, you want to trust God to refine you, then I invite you to pray this prayer. Father in heaven, here I am. And God, I want what you want. I want intimacy with you. I want to be with you. God, I ask that you would do all your work in me to allow me to abide, to soak in your presence, to be one with you. So God, I invite you to purify, to restore, to sanctify. Father, I trust your refining fire to separate me from my sin and remove only the dross, only the darkness, only the sin and leave me intact and better and more pure and stronger and trusting you more than ever before. And so Holy Spirit, I surrender and I present myself to you and ask you to accomplish your purpose in me. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to address another group of people who may be here this morning. As you're hearing me talk about a relationship with God, that's something that's been on your heart recently. In fact, that's why you're here today. You're here not to just go to church, but you're searching, seeking, to experience God. And if that sounds like you and you've never actually made a formal decision, a conscious choice to invite God into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. It's real simple. The most important thing is you have to make the choice. You have to decide that you want him. After that, it's simple. It's just a matter of expressing that to God, which is what we call prayer. So I'll pray out loud. You're invited to pray along with me. God will hear you. But before we pray, I'd like to know who I'm praying with. And I have a signal for that, which is if you would simply look up when my eyes meet yours, I'll know that we're going to pray together. And so if that describes you, then if you would go ahead and look up at this time and then we'll pray together in a moment. I can see everybody pretty clearly, but if I happen to not notice you, please just raise your hand. I don't want to miss anybody. So if you'd like to pray, go ahead and look up at this time. Okay, good, I see. Yes, there. Anybody else? 
Yes, I see you there. Anybody else? Okay. Yes. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. There, I see you. Anybody over on this side? Here? Okay. The two of you. Good. Anybody else? Very good. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I'm here. You know my heart. Today I'm making a decision for you. And so I open my life to you. And I ask you to come in and be a part of my life. I ask that you would reveal yourself to me, reveal your ways to me. I've been living life my own way all this time, and it's not working. And I'm realizing I need you. And so I ask you to forgive me for my independence, for the choices I've made that have been hurtful to me and others. And I thank you for Jesus for dying on the cross for me. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me and purify me. And I receive Jesus into my life. I receive your Holy Spirit into my life. And I ask you to give me a brand new start. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. I ask all this in Jesus' name.